0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the wannabe entrepreneur the podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company today i have another interview i have with me team start art Oh, I, I did a, i actually did the pause to, to say your last name. <laughs> you, you
1: did it pr- <laughs> Start- properly oh. but, yeah <laughs> you said it properly you just yeah. gotta just gotta flow with it Stoddard
0: Stoddard. all right yeah. welcome to to the show tim it's a pleasure to have you here
1: yeah thanks for having me i i really enjoyed uh your conversation with kevon he's uh he's a cool kid and um and once i heard that, I was really happy to reach out to you. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad to have a conversation, man. Thanks for having me.
0: No, it's my pleasure. Do you, did you meet Kevon before?
1: Well, virtually, um, he did a presentation for Copyblogger Academy, but he and I also chatted a lot, um, because well. I just I always reach out to people that I see that are you know working hard and being authentic yeah, and yeah. and just trying to do their own thing. So he and I chatted on Twitter for a little bit, and I, I would consider him a friend, like like most of my friends these days that mm-hmm. live on other sides of the
0: world. Yeah, our Twitter friends, right? <laughs> for <laughs> I have, sure, I have many yeah. of those as well. And um, yeah, and we also met on uh, Twitter. And uh, I, I did a quick uh, research on you before uh, inviting you also to the podcast. And I found your journey quite interesting, right? So you, you struggled with uh, addiction for a while and you were able to recover. And then you built a product called Sober Nation that helps other people um, going through the same issues. And I found it super, super interesting because I, to solve, uh, to be an entrepreneur, I think the best way is to solve a problem, right? And they are kind of, different kinds of problems there's the problems they are more serious than others in terms of health and um, I found it super cool that you're able to not only overcome that but then also creating a product that's helping other people and besides that you have many other cool products you have your own internet marketing agency uh, you have also uh, your podcast um, so super super cool and I'm excited to to learn more about that and to get things rolling I would love to ask you to introduce yourself and give some of your background here for the wannabe entrepreneur listeners.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. And th- that was a, a nice introduction. I appreciate that. It made me feel good. It's always good to see when when your hard work is is recognized by your peers. Uh, so yeah, like I said, my name is Tim Stoddard. I was born and raised in Philadelphia. I grew up to like a, a blue collar family. My father, uh, he threw he was a luggage handler at airport. So he was the guys that, that put the suitcases at the bottom of the planes. And my Mm -hmm. mom was like a, an an inner city ER nurse. She, she worked as an ER nurse for, for all my life. Um, I I grew up skateboarding. I hated school. I always kind of did my own thing, which uh, presented entrepreneurship in a good light for me. Um, a, A lot of people see what I do and they think I'm, I'm really tech savvy and I'm not actually, I love the internet, but I I love the internet mostly because I'm a writer. I think if I had to say, if somebody asked me like, Hey Tim, like, what are you? What's your profession? You know, obviously like I'm an entrepreneur, but, Mm -hmm. but ultimately at my foundation, I'm a writer and everything I have, um, everything I've built uh, a lot of like what I've learned about myself is a byproduct of me just writing obsessively for for years and years and years Uh, i get that from my mom my mom was a writer she was she was much more of like a poet though my mom was um she she just loved poetry you know and Mm -hmm. and i saw my mom carrying notebooks around with her and, and writing these these quick little poems and when i was little i just thought that was really cool so i just like copied my mom i I, I still, to this day, bring a notebook around with me everywhere I go. And I just, I, I journal as much as I can. Um, my journal so kind of, cool. yeah, it's it's always been very like therapeutic for me. And my journal eventually turns into ideas and ideas turn into articles and articles turn into attention, I suppose, and, and attention <laughs> leverages itself into like a thriving business. Um, so you know, obviously that's just like a, a four-minute version of, of how I yeah, got to yeah. where I am, but I think that's the the straightest path I could I could say. Mm-hmm.
0: You you said that you hated school. Um wh- why is that?
1: I hated sitting still. I mean, school really felt like a prison to me. And I know okay. that sounds so dramatic, um, but I, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of people when they get older they say, "Oh, I wish I could just go back to being a kid." Like, you couldn't. You, I'm allowed to curse on this show, by the way. Sometimes I mm-hmm. curse. Okay. Of course. I was sometimes. like, you couldn't fucking pay me to go back to school. I just, yeah. I hated it. I always felt like I was gonna burst out of my skin. It felt very inefficient to me. Mm-hmm. Um, as I got older and I started really studying, what. That our education system is and like how it became the way it is, it, it started to make sense because, you know, our, our modern education system is basically a factory line. Like school was made to create workers, basically. I mean, if you think about it, that's the whole reason why there's a bell in between classes. It's just a factory bell that lets you know that your shift is over.
0: Right. Never thought of that in that way.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a Prussian system, really. And and it just it, it like it made me want to explode. Um there were so many things that I always rather be doing. I wanted to be skating, I wanted to be playing sports. Uh, I just I had too much pent up energy. Um and I also just had a ton of awkwardness. Like I was just a weird, weird kid. I, I still am kind of weird. Even in social situations like this, I always find myself like, you know, uh thinking like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, or like, oh man, that mm-hmm. came across the wrong way or or being insecure yeah. about that and so it was just a real like insecure angsty time for me and the whole entire every second i spent sitting in a classroom i honestly felt like get me out of here yeah. and,
0: <laughs> and, and and somehow you compared it with with prison obviously it's 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 not the same but somehow you it's kind of mandatory right so at least until a certain um year right you, you have to, you have to go to school there's no other option most of the time so uh you you are not constrained uh in terms of physical space but it's somehow mandatory which and then in that sense i kind of understand that it's it can't feel like a prison right because you want to do other stuff but you just can't
1: that's exactly right there were so many things that i would want to do like it wasn't just like i want to get out of here and do what i want like I, I'm a very curious person. I love learning. I love reading. Um I love adventuring and like traveling and just figuring shit out. And the the method of which modern education presents that self did not mm. suit me well at yeah. all. And I, I don't think I'm alone with that.
0: It's like No, I I'm the same, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe not to, to that extreme, but I I never particularly loved school. Uh I liked Maybe being with friends and uh, doing sports, but just sitting down and learning stuff that I just didn't understand why I, I had to learn them. That, that, that felt really wrong <laughs> to me, for sure.
1: Me too. Um, yeah, me too.
0: Do, do you have any ideas on how we can improve the school system and bring it more towards uh, this new era?
1: a lot of ideas and i go back and forth a lot in my head about this of of how practical they are because what does school teach you it teaches you to not make a ruckus you know it teaches you to basically just blend in and be um not not submissive what's the word um like just do what you're told basically it teaches you to take tests Uh, It it teaches you that there's a grade that you need to achieve. It teaches you to work as an individual and like none of those things present themselves in actual success in the real world. Like to succeed in the real world, you need to work within a group to succeed Mm -hmm. in the real world. Like you do not think in terms of getting an A or a B or a C, you think in terms of like, what's the next thing I need to do to continuously make progress. Um, And so there's a couple of things like, I think from an intellectual standpoint, it doesn't make any fucking sense that you don't learn about taxes or money management yeah. until you get out of school. I, even till this day, it seems I've like it's an obvious it, yeah. one. Yeah. Like, yeah. how are we still not doing it that way? Where like, yeah. at least in America, most college kids like leave high school and then they take on like $100,000 worth of school debt yeah, and they don't yeah. even understand how that affects them. Um, That's true.
0: No, that's I, I totally I totally agree with that. Um, but you, you just mentioned as well that school was intended to train w- factory workers, right? Yeah. And yeah, in yeah. that sense, it makes sense, right? I mean, you are just teaching them to fall in line, not to make a lot of questions, and uh, and it worked, right? You're, you're building people that then will work for for the big factories. Um, but things changed, right? Now it's, it's very much different. The, the, the jobs are, most of the jobs are more mental um, and not so much physical, right? Uh,
1: yes. And I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't quite classify it as like, as a, a line in the sand between mental and physical. I would classify it as just problem solving. You know, like school teaches you how to fit spec. School teaches you how to do this exact thing in this exact way. And the real world just isn't like that at all. Like, so mm-hmm. m- most of my life when I was growing up, I was a carpenter. I, I built houses, and cool. like, yes, there's education you need to build houses. Like, you mm-hmm. need to know specific skills. You need to know like basic geometry and, and physics. You know, you need to know what a plumb bob is. But most of of the art of getting a house up is like continuously being able to look back at a situation and say like, hmm. Like, how do I do this? Because there's just, there's intangibles that you didn't see coming. And I think the same is, well, it's not that I think, the same is absolutely true in life. And so, and Mm -hmm. so like in school, I always felt like, okay, I'm never going to need to know what the parabolic arc of a tennis ball is if I throw Mm -hmm. it off of a roof that's 10 feet high onto another roof that's like four foot below that. But yeah. I will need to know how to file my taxes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right? No, I definitely agree with that. And um the only thing that gets me thinking is there are a lot of information that um that I didn't want to learn, but then I end up learning because I was kind of forced. And now I I like having this information in me because it also opens possibilities, right? When you learn about physics, um when you learn about maybe Poets or, or stuff that maybe you're not very much into it at that time. But now you think, okay, it's cool that I know that this existed. I know about history, for instance, which is something that I, by myself I'll probably never read about. And the fact that I was forced to learn about the history of my country and the world. It's really important for me now also as an entrepreneur to open my horizons, right? And I, in that sense, I think that you have to be also somehow forced to learn. What, what do you think about that?
1: For sure. there There is we need to learn how to learn better when we leave school we associate learning with like cramming information into our heads so that we can then recite that information at a specific point in time whereas learning is about broader concepts that teach you how to problem solve as opposed to like so there's a Neil deGrasse Tyson quote that I think was really interesting once where he was talking about teaching people how to learn Mm -hmm. and he said he said that he was theorizing two different employees and he asked if so okay here, here here's the scenario there's mm-hmm. a boss behind a desk and there's somebody that's coming in for a job and the boss asked these two employees like how high is that tower behind me and one of the employees knew the exact answer because he memorized it and the other employee said like i don't know but give me a second and he was able to get an estimate of like how um about what time of day it was Right. and look at the shadow and being able to measure the shadow to get like an approximation of how tall the building was mm-hmm. so like which of those employees would you want would you want the one that like knew the perfect answer because he was able to memorize it or would you want the one that was able to like step back and take a look at his surroundings and like figure mm-hmm. it out and i always remember that quote because it's just related to it, it like answered this weird question to me that i always had about school um that i, I I couldn't quite figure out what it was that I was actually bothered by. Mm -hmm. And it was that, right? It was like I left school without actually feeling like I had these problem-solving skills Mm -hmm. that I could apply to the real world. Yeah,
0: definitely, definitely. No, it makes uh, total sense. And uh, I felt that the most actually in college. Uh, I really hated college because it was mostly... Bad teachers uh, that are forced to give classes, and uh, at least in Portugal, it's like this. And then uh, you're forced to learn a bunch of things that you don't actually learn. Like you, I end up just studying whatever I need to pass uh, my classes. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with you. I think uh, it's much better to have someone that's able to solve a problem, any problem, than someone that's basically remembers the solution of one problem, then but doesn't really understand it. So I think that's a that's a right good point. Yeah, that's um, right. So. Was was that the relationship with with uh, with school that kind of somehow took you in a darker path uh, with addiction?
1: Yeah, well, yes and no. Like school didn't help, but ultimately it was just a feeling of of being an outsider, of not belonging, of of not being secure with myself. Like addiction is a touchy subject, right? Because nobody mm-hmm. actually knows what it is. Yeah. And I have theories just out of my own experience, and um, I've written a lot about it, if, if anybody wants to read it. So the, the reason why I say that is because I don't know exactly why I fell into such a dark downward spiral. Like there's Mm -hmm. other people that have existed that had very similar experiences as I did that had like really awful stuff happen to them and they used it and went in a different direction. Right. So I'm not sure why. Um, What I do know is that after it's all said and done, it was actually that really, really dark time in my life that turned into like the best thing that ever happened to me. So it's, it's funny to hear this and even sometimes say it, but I'm so, so grateful for that experience because it it really was like the catalyst for mm-hmm. me to, to follow my dreams, I, I guess, and, and do what I wanted to do with my life.
0: Mm-hmm. Would you be able to reach the point where you are now without going through uh, that tougher path?
1: Well, I'd like to think that I would have been able to like, quote unquote, achieve the same things. Mm-hmm. but. I don't think I would have had the perspective on life, which in a lot of ways makes it worth achieving these things. Because I, I, know, I know a lot of people, especially when I lived in Florida. I live in Nashville now, but mm. when I lived in Florida, Florida is like a very wealthy, um, there's a lot of successful business people in South Florida. And I was surrounded a lot by v- a lot of very, very successful people that were not happy. Um, and you know, I don't even like that word because I think happiness is kind of a myth, you know, like you hear people say like, I just want to be happy, but that's not actually true yeah. because happiness is just a feeling. It's not actual, like, it's not like a state. Yeah. Um, and so I would say content. I, I I was around a lot of people that had a lot of success and were very, very discontent in their lives. And so I think like, In another world, would I have been able to achieve, quote unquote, these same things? Like, I don't know, maybe Um, if I had the same circumstances, I'd like to think that I would be successful in, you know, like nine out of 10 alternate realities. Right. But I don't think I'd have had the same perspective that actually makes it worth it for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe you'd be solving other problems that are not uh, addiction related. Right. Uh, Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Never knows. (laughs) Um, so I was, um, kind of hearing in one of your, uh, other interviews, uh, the story on how you decided to do something, uh, to change, um, and try to basically go to rehab and, um, do you, do you want to share a little bit of, of that story? Cause I think it, it might make sense to understand and how, uh, Sober Nation came, came to be.
1: Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, well, so there's there's kind of two parts of this story. The the first part is what actually led me to realizing that like I had a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And more or less my mom had a brain tumor and she was gonna die, really. The chances of her surviving a surgery were very, very low. Um and and she survived. And there was a moment there when my mother I was in California. There was only like a couple surgeons who were even able to take on my mom's case. She had a, a brain tumor right on her brainstem, which, you know, is, is difficult to remove because brainstems are pretty important. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it's it's a bit of a long story, but the, the long and short of it is that there was a moment when my mother asked me for help. She was in a wheelchair and, I, and I'll never forget it. She asked if I would go with her to a pre-op appointment with the surgeon. And I think the surgeon was just going to the the way I imagined it, at least, was, you know, I had, like, a model brain in his hand and was going to, like, show where Wait. he was going to cut my mom's head open and, like, what was going to happen. And my
0: mom asked if I would... uh Very scary. Very scary. Yeah, stuff. it was gnarly. Hmm.
1: And my mom just came in and she asked if I would go with her because she was scared. And, you know, at the time, I was, like, withdrawing very, very bad. Um And mm-hmm. so... if you've never experienced it being dope sick is like very hard to explain like your bones quite literally ache and okay i was just very sick you know like i was very very sick i was throwing up on the flight there um because you
0: were trying to stop or just because you didn't consume for a long time
1: yeah just because like i I didn't i was going through the airport you know when i was scared so like i hid all my drugs um in my suitcase and then like put the suitcase underneath the plane you know Right. And I, I'm from Philadelphia, so it was a mm. long flight. It was from Philly to Phoenix and then from mm. Phoenix to California. And then, you know, I had to get picked up from the airport and the drive. So mm. all in all, it's probably seven hours worth of traveling. And it's like mm. right about the time where you start getting sick. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like my mom asked if I would come with her. And I, I said that I, I wouldn't. I was like, hey, mom, I'm really tired, you know. Um, and granted, like her surgery was the next day and she was probably going to die. And I didn't just because like I needed to to kind of do my thing. I needed to yeah. to just get high or whatever. And um it was just a moment I'll never forget where I crushed some pills up on a desk in front of me and like snorted them. I don't know how graphic you want me to get. And I remember just feeling like that ease and comfort that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also looking out this window in Northern California, like this beautiful field at is like at Stanford University somewhere, and just feeling like, man, I cannot believe that like this is what I had become. Um, and so that was like my real yeah. like moment of clarity, I suppose you can call yeah. it, where I just saw that this was not sustainable and like this is not mm-hmm. who I wanted to be.
0: You kind of realized that drugs were becoming somehow more important for you than you know such a crucial part of your mother's life and your own life and your family's uh, life
1: right that's exactly right Mm -hmm. yeah and and also keep in mind that my mother had me well both my parents you know but my mom even more so they had me when they were really young and Mm -hmm. so like i'm 35 and i just had a son and my mom yeah thank you it's a blast he's super fucking cool Mm -hmm. and my mom like she was 17 i think and so you, I just I realize now how much both my parents sacrificed to like raise my sister and I mm-hmm. well. You know, like we were lower middle class, we didn't have a whole lot. Money was always a problem for us, but man, like we had dinner every single night. We ate as a family. We yeah, read books important. together. Like my 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 dad always showed up to my soccer games, you know, and so it was just knowing at that moment what i had become mm-hmm. was just a big realization considering how much like my mom meant to me and how much she did for me and like i yeah. couldn't even be there for
0: her you know it just it hit me really hard yeah and it's something that uh, really uh strikes the nerve there and uh i'm glad it, you you kind of realized and, and made you change um and also i'm glad that your mom was able to um survive that uh, operation so mm-hmm. super super good um Walk me through then the the next steps on on that recovery and then how the idea of creating um, Sober Nation came to be.
1: Uh, Amazing. Sure. Well, uh, again, like long story short, I had a cousin who lived in South Florida and he was also in recovery. And so he just took me in and that's how I got to South Florida. Um, he really helped me so much. Like, man, I love that guy so, so much. He's like, I I owe him the world. Um, and I mean, look, here's what happened. I had a mentor basically, and he bought me as a gift, a, what do you call it? A subscription to success magazine. And it's so funny to say, because this was only 12 years ago, but every Mm. issue of success magazine came with a CD (laughs) And every CD was like an interview of like a successful person. Now it's just podcasts, right? It was very similar to this, but mm-hmm. you know, I would get my issue of success magazine and, and I don't like, you got to understand at this point, like I was six months sober. Like I put on some weight, I was starting to see like the good in life again and like gaining a little bit of confidence. Like, you know, I, I can do something with my life. And so I'm reading, I was in a place where like I was, um, like willing to absorb this good positive kind of information, right like I was I was really enjoying it
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and so the CD I listened to was the first one ever. It was an interview with this guy named Seth Godin. oh yeah, the marketing guy exactly. and I never knew who Seth Godin was at the time, and this interview just really really spoke to me and this was a time, I think very shortly after he released his book called Purple Cow, which is a very, very important book in the world of like marketing and the digital age. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what the interview said, but I do remember, you know, at the end of every interview, there's always like, what would you say to the person just getting started? Like, what's the piece of advice? And he said, start a blog, don't tell anybody about it and write in it every day. And there's just something about hearing that. Like it was a huge, huge impactful moment in my life where I just thought Mm -hmm. to myself, like, you know what, I can do that. And so I pulled up my like piece of shit computer that I bought at a pawn shop <laughs> and I went on to Google and I found this thing called Blogspot, uh, which yeah. doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah, it was. I used it too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like the good old days. Um, and I started a blog and I didn't tell anybody about it and I wrote in it every day and
0: which was, just, which was something that you kind of were already doing before, right? You, you picked up from your mom, always bringing your uh, notebook along. Right? That, that
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. And that, mm-hmm. I think that's probably why it was so comforting to hear that, you know, because I just thought to myself, I, I can, can definitely that. write yeah. every day. Like this mm-hmm. is already what I do. I would write random stuff, really. It became just a way for me to stay out of my head. I would write about my journey and sobriety and I would write about... Like how I was feeling, I would write about how weird it was to be living in Florida when I grew up in Philly, and mm. and you know, like a couple months later, I randomly discovered that people were reading my blog, <laughs> and I thought to myself, like, how the hell is this even possible? I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't tell anyone for months. Like I did exactly what Seth Godin told me to do, um, and lo and behold, there's this thing called search engines, and <laughs> and like people find writing by searching for it. And I I realized that, damn, I'm not the only one who's thinking these things. And there's other people who are like scared about what they're going to do at their sister's wedding 10 years from now when they can't have a drink. And like, it was, it was a tradition in my family. My family's Scottish where um, Mm -hmm. they all have like thick Scottish accents. And we had, um, a tradition every Thanksgiving where we would take a shot of scotch. It's a Scottish Mm. Scotch called (laughs) McCollum, and uh, then we would say like what we were thankful for. It's like man, I I can't do that anymore, you know. And I would write blog. I I wrote a blog about it, and it was just this huge realization for me that like wow, search engines are different. Like search engines are a way for people to come to me, and I discovered this thing called SEO, and Mm -hmm. one thing led to another, and I eventually turned that blog it was called the fourth dimension into sober nation. And I built a a big community really of people Whoa. that were in the same position that I was in of family members that were trying to find help for their loved ones of people that like were thinking, Hey, do I have a problem? Do I not have a problem? Right. And, and I just, man, like all I did was I kept on writing mm-hmm. and it turned into what it turned into. And I'm, I'm so grateful for it.
0: So, you did you know anything about what SEO was? Search engines? Uh, did you do any any research about that?
1: Uh, no, I knew nothing. Um, but yes, I did started doing some research, and you know, I, I suppose this is uh, ten years down the line. But that is how I discovered Copyblogger. because mm. as I was building Sober Nation, like I had no idea what I was doing, right? I was just writing, Mm -hmm. but there was this website called Copy Blogger that would publish these amazing articles and even eventually these really amazing podcasts that taught people like how to write for the internet, how to create articles that people want to read and how to format articles in a way that makes it so that they can easily digest their information and how to write great headlines so people click on your article in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. And so CopyBlogger was my education. Like the founder of CopyBlogger, Brian Clark, it, it, it's it's just so amazing how it all comes full circle. He was actually like a protege of Seth Godin, and oh. so I discovered Brian Clark. I was like, oh my god, he he's like an, an an apprentice, I guess is a word. Like not literally an apprentice, but very much was like took Seth Godin's methodology and applied it to build CopyBlogger. And so I was like, there's this little family, right? There's like this hierarchy of these great writers that are teaching me how to build something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Super Nation just kept growing and it kept growing and kept growing. And eventually I got more confident and eventually I got more confident as like, not just a writer that could write great stories, but a writer that could be a good technician in terms of like creating content that the internet Wanted. wants to read and wants to share
0: so, Sober Nation was uh, a blog, right? You're, you're building an audience. Um, when you realized that this could maybe become something, you said that you just kept on uh, kept on writing. But when was the point when you said, "Okay, let's make a business out of this? Maybe I can make money out of this." When was this the, the turning point there? <laughs> no.
1: You know, all the podcasts I've done, no one's ever actually asked me that question before. And the answer is pretty funny because, believe it or not, Sober Nation's been like a terrible business. Um, so, like, it's very lean, right? Because I don't have like a whole lot of employees. And it's it's really only the last two years or so that I figured out the model to make it like a profitable website. But what Sober Nation really did is it. So, okay, here's the exact moment. I'll tell you the story. There's a, a website called Moz that used to be run by this dude named Rand Fishkin, who nice. is really a pioneer in, in SEO. And the Moz blog is something that I would also read every day. So if, if Copyblogger is a website that sort of teaches you like how to write and how to mm-hmm. um, tell stories and write great copy. I think Moz is probably where I learned a lot more of like how to be technical with my content so that I can get traffic from search. Like taught me how to be an SEO basically. Copyblogger taught me how to be a writer, and Moz taught me how to be an SEO. And I read this article by this guy named Dave Rand. No, not Dave Ramsey. Dave something. He he still owns a company called Nifty Marketing. So Dave the guy who wrote the article is telling a story about how he was talking to his mentor and he was telling his mentor about how he was going to build a marketing agency and his mentor said back to him there's like 30,000 some some astronomical number 30,000 marketing agencies in the country like why is anybody going to pick you over anybody else and Dave at the time had a white light moment where he realized that he needed to differentiate himself by being right. very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he went specific into being a local marketing agency. Um, and so I read that. And at the time, through Sober Nation, what actually happened is treatment centers were reaching out to me, like, wow, how did you build this community of people that, that need help? Because obviously, like, you know, a treatment center would find value in that because they're there to serve the people that are looking for help. And Mm. all those people were coming to me instead of going to the treatment center. And so I started freelance writing for treatment centers um, and just trying to apply some of my skills. And it was at that exact moment when I read that article by uh, Dave something, I can't remember his last (laughs) name, with a Nifty Marketing, N-I-F-T-Y marketing.com and you'll find him. And I just realized, wow, there's a huge opportunity for me to build a marketing agency that works only with treatment centers. So so the answer to your question is that like still to this day sober nation never really had that moment where it's like okay this is a business now. I just sort of right. stumbled my way towards building a really great business out of it, but what it did is it taught me a skill which I was able to then apply to something mm-hmm. which I turned into like a super successful business.
0: And and it's somehow and I do the same with with this podcast now. It's a marketing channel for you, right? So you build something that has a huge audience, and then this audience is somehow channeling people to your other business. So you're getting treatment centers coming to you because of Sober Nation. But my question is, it's it, when you're saying this that sober, uh, um, treatment centers were coming to you and say how do you reach these people because we also want to reach them too the first thing that came to my mind is why don't you just do ads on your blog and and uh, you can just advertise for treatment centers um did you ever try doing that
1: i did yeah the the beginning of sober nation was exactly that and looking back so the the beautiful thing about sober nation is I just I failed over and over and over again on that site to basically learn the lessons. So if I could do it all over again, I probably would have just put ads on the site, and and just focused on growing it. But I was stuck in my head a little bit at the time because mm-hmm. one of the things that Copy Blogger teaches is how ridiculously unprofitable ads are, and it's like. It's really disgusting when you think about it. Like if you put Google ads on your website, you know, you make like 0.00001 cent for every like 100 people that come to your site. And so, so, yeah, like looking back the first five years, I probably should have just put ads on it and just like let it ride and not thought about it too much because I was always experimenting and like, okay, what if I tried doing this? What if I tried doing this? Or what if I put a membership on it? You know, and I, I sort of, was like a little bit herky-jerky when if I would have just put ads on it, it probably would have given me the mental bandwidth to just focus on right. creating the best content, right? Um, but like, ultimately, it still probably worked out for the best because like, yeah, you're exactly right. Sober Nation just turned into the best marketing channel mm-hmm. that I possibly could have asked for. And, you know, I, I say this as humbly as possible. I'm not trying to be like a humble brag, but I I'm, I'm probably have the most expertise Right in the country, m- maybe the world—I don't know. Definitely the country on doing digital marketing for behavioral healthcare centers right. and
0: with because it's such a niche um, topic as well, right? Uh, th- totally yes, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's
1: exactly right. And so, you know, like hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe I should have put ads on it. Maybe not. But ultimately, like I think the skill that I've developed over the last ten years is worth mm-hmm. like way more than. The couple of thousand bucks I would have made a year with ads yeah, on the yeah, website.
0: Yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think ads only actually make money once your platform already has huge traffic. In the beginning, it's really hard to monetize with ads, I reckon. Let let's go back to the to when you were writing your blogs and you realized that people were reading your content. Um what what was the traffic then? How how many people were actually um reading your posts? Do, do you still remember how, how did it go? It was like a thousand people? Uh, 2,000 or 10,000. Do you remember the numbers?
1: Oh, much more than that. Because at the time, it sounds so funny because it, like, it makes me sound like I'm old, but the internet was just different then. At the time, Facebook was way more viral than it is now. Like There was yeah, this huge controversy where if you had a Facebook page, all of a sudden, Facebook made it so the algorithm only showed like 1% to 2% of if you posted something on a Facebook page, it, Facebook only showed that content to like 1% to 2% of the people that liked your page. And so, you know, at the time I had 20,000 followers on my Facebook page. And so I would stay up all night and I would write these articles and I would get so pumped up to publish the article in the morning and post it on the Facebook page and then just yeah. watch the thing explode. You know, like all of a sudden there's 10,000 people on my website sharing Amazing. this article and it's going viral. And then like the very next day, Facebook made the announcement. They're like, Hey, that shit is done. And if you want to go viral, you need to pay us. Um, and oh, so like instantly yeah. that was just gone. And so now I think it's, you know, I don't even search the analytics as much anymore. I spend a lot more time on the email subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I know we get a significant amount of email subscribers every day. But last time I checked, we probably get, like, eight to 10,000 hits a day on CyberNation. Wow.
0: Okay. It's it's crazy. It's a lot of people. Um, so, you you coming from... Uh, recovering from addiction, right? Uh, and now, suddenly, you have something that somehow obviously in a different dimension, but can also be very addictive, right? Which is being r- read and being loved by others and seeing people coming to your website. Did that also somehow became an addiction to you to like post and, and see people coming and and that felt nice? Did it replace somehow the addiction you, you, you had before?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, certainly. But you know this is a little bit off topic but really the thing i replaced it with was fitness and exercise Mm -hmm. especially running um i i've always been into fitness i've always been into health you know my sister is a state champ athlete i was like a pretty exceptional soccer and lacrosse player um and so it came naturally to me but like i i certainly found my peace through late night runs in florida like Mm -hmm. I guess I'm just you have to understand the perspective in my life, you know like I grew up I grew up in Philly, and now, through this random event, I'm living in like beautiful South Florida, and like I'm a quarter mile away from the beach, and so I just loved going on runs late at night with my dog and like going to the tennis course and just doing push ups and burpees and and like pull ups on this bar that was over. The, the door because you know how tennis uh courts have like gated fences and so the mm-hmm. door itself was like this this gated fence that had like a big mm-hmm. bar going on top of the header and um and so yeah like I'm not trying to make this a fitness podcast but i, I very <laughs> yeah. much replaced my addiction with fitness with fitness
0: yeah well I guess the reason why I was asking this is because uh, being an entrepreneur can, can also have uh or an influencer in your case, can also have a, a lot of downside, right? You you become addicted to to see if people love you and then you want to write something. And if it doesn't perform as your previous blog, maybe you get upset. I, I certainly would get upset. And I've, I've spoken with a lot of YouTubers, especially they say, yeah, sometimes they just don't go as well and you get somehow addicted to the algorithm and creating and so on. So that's why I was asking if the, if, if this happened to you, right? So if you think, okay, I need to create better content, better content, like, was this an issue or not so much?
1: No, that, that certainly was an issue. And, and when you frame it like that, um, so the word isn't addiction, the word is obsession, Right. because I've just always been, even when I was growing up, like I I tell this joke way too much, but it seems to come back over and over again in my life. But my mom always used to say it's your gift and it's your curse because I just get wrapped up in stuff. Like right. I don't, I don't know. It's there. There's plenty of times where I wish I could be like, Hey brain, like shut up. Everything's fine. Like, like just shut up, stop spinning in circles. And then there's other times mm-hmm. where I'm like, man, this is a superpower. Like I can outwork anybody. I can out execute anybody. Like nobody can do this for as long and as hard as I can. Um, and so, Yeah, like realistically, this quirk or personality trait or deficit, maybe you could even call it, I'm not sure, has totally worked out in my favor because I just, I wanted to succeed so bad and it's all I cared about. You know, like I didn't, I didn't go out on the weekends anymore. Like I didn't party. I didn't drink, obviously, like I've been sober for uh, almost 12 years now. Um, all I've done for the last twelve years is work on my brand, work on my company, stay healthy and like keep a handful of friends. <laughs> like right. that is it. Like that is mm-hmm. all I've done. And so I don't ever apologize for the fact that like I've done well because it, it, it came at a significant cost. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 And, uh, and you said that also one of your focus was fitness and, and definitely also then your business, uh, which end up being very also good for you. Um, so I, I'm also now curious about the, this marketing agency. You built this this blog. You got a lot of people coming to it. You got treatment centers coming to you and say, hey, uh, Tim, I also want to do that. I, how do I attract uh, people? to to my uh, treatment center, and then you decided, okay, maybe there's a possibility here to to make a to make a business. How did that process go? How do you establish this business? Um, tell me, maybe about your first client. Do you still recall who was your first client?
1: Oh yeah, it was an all women's facility in Fort Lauderdale, um, and, and this is a this is like a really great topic, and I, I've been writing about this a lot. Especially in recent years, as I've just gotten so much experience, I actually launched a paid newsletter recently called The Bootstrapper. Um, it's thebootstrapper.io. Ah,
0: and I found it when I was searching for it on Google, actually. <laughs> when I said yeah. for Bootstrapper, it's one of the first uh, um, results. <laughs> yeah, cool.
1: very cool. And so here's why I think it's important. And this is going to take a little bit of explaining, but I, I think I can explain it pretty quickly. I'll go for it. In almost every case, the the best business for somebody to start in the very beginning is like a freelance business or a client services business. There's a lot of language on the internet that makes it seem like selling your time for money is a complete failure. You know, like how could you do that? You're selling your time for money. You need leverage, leverage. Like that's the buzzword, right? Leverage. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I
0: think as well, actually. I'm curious about what you're going to say now. (laughs)
1: Well, because you got to start somewhere. And the good thing about being a freelancer or even eventually working up to an agency is that it's instantly profitable. Like if you get your first client, you're making money. Right. Whereas if you're selling products online or you got a SaaS company, like there's a lot of investment with both time and money up front. And so you build these products and you don't know if it's going to work. And so the skills that you learn from running like a digital service business are just invaluable. Like you learn shit that they don't teach you. You learn about invoicing. You know, you learn how to manage disgruntled employees. You, you learn how to manage disgruntled clients. You learn how to be a leader. Like, and and most importantly, really, this is like the, the top of the list. Most importantly is you learn how to develop systems because it's the system which is ultimately gonna get you out of the way because the bottleneck for a service agency is always like the owner. It's always the CEO because, because he or she is going to want to do everything his or her way. Whereas like the best thing you could actually do is develop a system and then get out of the way so that the work can flow on its own. Right. Um, And so like, so my first client was a freelance client and like everybody else i had no idea what i was doing like i was stumbling around and and i was writing articles especially location based for women's drug rehab search in fort lauderdale um and it it went pretty well and then i got another client and then i got another client and then i hired my first employee (laughs) and that was a disaster you know and then i hired another employee and then i got my first small office in Delray beach florida right above the starbucks on uh, federal and atlantic and Mm so And so, why?
0: So, just to understand this, so you're you're mostly focused, I guess, on SEO, right? So that was the main service you're giving to your clients, writing blogs. Mm -hmm. Why did you hire your first um, employee? Was it because you just had too many customers and you couldn't do it all yourself, or was already you thinking, okay, I need to automate my business, I need to create a system?
1: Well, it was both. Um, I read a book called "The Myth Revisited" by Michael Gerber. Which I recommend every single entrepreneur read, probably even before you start a business. Okay. And
0: it really we'll link we'll me, it in the show notes.
1: Yeah, please do. So, like here's the example that he uses where almost every small business starts as a technician because like you have a particular skill. And so in the book he uses is a baker. Like you're a technician, you are selling your skill. Right. But eventually, what are you gonna do? Because you can't bake a hundred cakes in a day. It's just not possible, um, especially because once you're baking a hundred cakes for you know five different employees, or excuse me, five different customers, now you got to figure out how to manage them. You got to figure out how to drive the cakes, mm-hmm. right? You got to figure out where you're gonna do this because you need more than one oven. And so, like the technician, slowly has to remove his or herself from the role of actually baking cakes, uh, which is very difficult for technicians to do because like I'm a writer, you know, and like I know how I want my clients to perceive the work that they get. I know how the written work should be, but you got no choice because you're either going to burn out or you're going to be overloaded with work that the the quality of the work is going to be shit. And so you have to really learn how to develop systems that make it so that anybody can come into the role and like replicate the product really the the Mm -hmm. service that you want to sell so that every time you grow you can like create a system and then take another step back and create a system and take another step back so that ultimately and here's the real kicker so that ultimately like you as the owner are working on the business instead of in the business, and I believe right that once you get to that point that's when you know you want to start building a digital product that has like a ton of leverage and a ton of scale and maybe creating some courses that can productize like your specific knowledge that you've learned over the years right
0: right right you, you kind of need to prove first that you can do it right even though there's a lot of people that they create courses and they they do all of this without even having uh, ever built a business. I think that's something that you can uh, see uh, even on Twitter that, that happens, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and we're opening up a whole can of worms here because yeah.
0: it's,
1: <laughs> it's like difficult to explain the cyclical nature of it, but it's like, I'm going to create a business that sells courses that teaches you how to build a business so that you can build a business by selling courses to teach other people how to build a business (laughs) by selling courses. And like not a single business was built the whole time.
0: Exactly. Right. And so,
1: you know, like, look, I'm not, I want everybody to have abundance in their lives and I'm not even trying to knock anyone. I'm just, I'm trying Mm -hmm. to show like the absurdity of it because in almost every case it fails Mm. um because people aren't stupid and we want to think that they're stupid because of all the dumb shit that goes on on Twitter but ultimately like people know if if what they're listening to or what they're reading or what they're buying comes from a place of experience and like expertise and so you got to be patient and you got to really like learn those abstract fundamentals before yeah. people take you seriously
0: yeah totally agree so in the, in the beginning, you're, when you were uh, growing uh, Sober Nations, you're, you're, you said that you were not making money. So I guess, did you have some side hustles, some side gigs that you were just doing to sustain yourself?
1: Yeah, I was selling on the phone, which is like the first and last job I've ever had. And man, I can't tell you how valuable this job was. I sold diabetic supplies mm-hmm. and also I sold catheters, um, mm. which was really enlightening in my life because when I talk about this time, people say like catheters, you mean the things that like people stick into their privates to help them pee? And the answer is yes. And I'll tell you why it was so meaningful to me because people that need catheters are people with spinal injuries. Um, and, and people that need diabetic supplies are, are usually people, at least my clients, like there's There's many different kinds of people with diabetes, obviously, but the the kind of clients that I had were people with type one diabetes who like just legitimately needed it. And if you fuck up their order, like you are really, really, really going to mess up their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I built amazing relationships with these people that I never even met. You know, like there's this one kid um, who broke his back in a dirt bike accident and he was 24 years old and... He he had a girlfriend and like he taught himself how to drive a car, you know, and he built this contraption to get him in and out of his car through like this sweet little motor that he made. Um, he was really amazing. There was this other guy that uh, every time I talked to him, he was just always so happy and he always used mm-hmm. to make these these like relatively dirty, but hysterical jokes. Um, and, and he had a broken back, he got hit by a drunk driver. And so like, I learned through that job that sales isn't about convincing people to do something that they're skeptical about doing. Sales is about finding people that like need the solution that you're offering and creating an alignment between the two. Mm.
0: Um, and it
1: also so told that, me how to so get hung up on. you both can
0: win, right? So you, you That's both...
1: exactly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but it also told me. It also taught me how to get hung up on a lot, and to hear no a lot, mm-hmm. um, and just to not worry about it. Like, <laughs> it's it's a hard thing to learn because people yeah. get really uncomfortable with sales because getting told no sucks. But man, yeah. I don't know if there's ever been a job. I don't know if there's ever been an experience in my life really other than you know just the experience about getting sober that we talked about that that created so much like value for me um Mm -hmm. and so yeah like i i know i went down the rabbit hole a little bit but the whole time i was supporting myself by making like 120 calls a day with (laughs) people that that may have needed um the products and services that Mm -hmm. the company i was working for was selling so it was amazing
0: so when you hired your first employee, though, um, you were already doing full-time your uh, agency.
1: Yeah, correct. At that point, I had
0: I had gone all in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, from then on, it's been uh, just growing, getting more clients, getting more employees and working on a business instead of in the business. Is that correct? <laughs>
1: that is so, so correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, geez, we got 15 employees now. Wow. Um, you know, we were talking before we recorded. I got employees in Recife, Brazil, and you know they're not like contractors; they're real employees that are on right. payroll, that are my friends. Well, wow. um, same thing in the Philippines. I got two workers, Davy and Raymond, who are like my family. You know, they're gonna invite me and my wife to their wedding. Uh, they're a couple that that both work for my company. Um, some people in London, people all over the country, and it's like it's it's so freaking fulfilling because there yeah. are times where I'm thinking to myself, you know, I have copy blogger. I have a huge audience of people. Like, why do I stop doing this sales agency game? And you can sell just, it, right?
0: You can just sell the company.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, those are definitely thoughts that go through my head, but, I just can't help it. Like, I wake up in the morning and I'm so excited to get to work with my team. And I just, I love closing deals so much. And the rush I get from signing contracts is, is still like anything else mm-hmm. for me personally. So uh, we're going to keep doing it at least for a little while longer and we'll see where it takes us.
0: How does it feel to be able to help so many people with sober Nations? It feels really good,
1: man. I, I think a lot, there was a guy named ken who was a counselor in the rehab that i went to and um so in rehab sometimes like you gotta understand when you're in rehab you're with people that are addicts and a lot of them are like pretty manipulative and like i'm I'm not trying to stereotype people too much but i think it's safe to say that drug addicts like (laughs) steal sometimes and like (laughs) maybe get in trouble with the law so um so there's a lot of manipulation there. And I remember there was a conversation where one of the clients that I was with was basically yelling at Ken saying like, this isn't helping me at all. Why am I even here? This is stupid. Like you guys are just in it for the money. Um, And I remember Ken saying to him, he's like, look, you're looking at this all wrong. This is a win-win for everybody. Like I went to school for 12 years to do what I do and to come here to help you. The business itself needs to make money so that we can run, so that we can afford the vans that we drive you around in, so that we can afford the food that you eat. I have the privilege of doing this to help you. And people do walk out of this rehab better and get mm-hmm. their lives together. It's like, so did you ever notice if there's like an oil exec or something and they make a ton of money, Everyone's like, "Oh, well, that's a really smart businessman." But if you're in the business of like helping people, there's a weird uh, stigma, I guess, around yeah. getting paid to do it. And and I remember Ken said, "Like, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. Like, I am providing for myself by helping you, and so you're getting helped. I'm getting helped, and people get jobs and and create like prosperity for everybody." And that, that really changed the way I think about it because mm-hmm. now it's like I have the privilege of doing what I love to do, which provides a life for me, which supports other people. And I think that's just really best case scenario where like everybody wins in that case as opposed to some, you know, like greedy oil exec who's just looking to exploit people. So it feels like really, really great that the work that I do provides for me and my family while also providing for other people. And I I really just feel strongly about that.
0: Yeah, that's that's also the lifestyle I I want to achieve. And I think that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur is to be able to solve a problem that you care about and uh, have the privilege to work on it for the rest of your life because it's able to sustain you and your family and also give you the life you want. Right. So I think that's kind of why I want to be an entrepreneur and uh, this possibility of changing, making your life purpose to change the world for a better place. Uh, So I I totally agree with you. And uh, especially also in the Internet, also people assume a lot that things should be free um, because, well, we were used that the Internet was free. Yeah, I don't Uh, even know why. Yeah. But now I think it's also a little bit changing and people realize that uh, it's okay to pay for products that that you love. And most of the times when you don't pay for the products, it's it's because you are the product, right? Uh, and then you have the problems with Cambridge Analytica and you have Facebook and this kind of shit with the ad. <laughs> That's exactly so, right, man. Yeah. That is
1: exactly right. I've, I've said that exact line I don't even know how many times
0: in my life. Yeah, like, yeah.
1: if it's free, you're the product.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, w- one thing that I really liked about the, this story, and we are now reaching the end of our chat, but it was really inspiring. Is is also the fact on how you see things always in a positive way, right? So a lot of people would maybe think about their problem with addiction and and always kind of consider their themselves or pity themselves, right? They would think, oh, I had this problem and now I I, I cannot be better or I cannot reach my dreams. But you have a different perspective. You you look at your job as well as a salesman. And say, I've learned a lot from this. I, I take the positive from this. I take the positive from my rehab, rehab experience. I take the positive of life. Um, do you think this is something that is also important to be an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, for sure. You have to have... I don't want to call it delusion because you have to have a sense of realism. But... For me it's like what other choice do you have because the opposite sounds really terrible. <laughs> like if if I got upset about every single thing that didn't go my way when trying to build my business, like I would always be upset. And I'm not saying that to be dramatic. Like more things go wrong than go right significantly. Like for every one thing that goes right, 20 things go wrong. Yeah. It's it's nothing but continuously putting out fires and solving problems. And so for me it's almost just a sense of like pragmatism like what other choice do I possibly have the only other choice is to get upset about every single thing that could possibly upset me and like if that's what I wanted to do then like I would be upset all the time so I don't know may, like maybe I'm an optimistic person I think that a lot of what I've learned through my journey has given me like a positive perspective and I think I, I think I have a lot of gratitude which helps but but really when 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 these conversations come up, I think the best advice I could give is just much more practical it's not it's not about like some woo-woo feeling good have a positive outlook on shit it's much more along the lines of like it's really dumb to not because that's very inefficient
0: right mm-hmm. so what's
1: the point you know
0: yeah amazing yeah I, I totally agree with you and I think that's uh Great line to end this episode, Tim, thank you so much for uh, sharing a bit of your journey here with the Wannabe Entrepreneurs, I think it's, it's really inspiring, definitely inspired me, and I think it will also inspire a lot of the, the listeners, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome, and hey, I, I
1: hope it inspired people too, and also... Uh, I, I want to commend you. I know that this is a new journey for you, but you're like a really great conversationalist. I, I, I really love talking to you. So I, I I hope you keep doing this for years to come.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I really love doing this. So I hope so as well. That's great. I, and I, I will link um, your Twitter profile. I will link Sober Nation, your also your marketing agency, basically everything we talked about in the show notes. I will also ask you for, for the name of that book. Maybe you can write it to me afterwards so that I can link. And uh, Seth Gunning, everything, all those, these resources, I'll uh, link them in the show notes.
1: Uh, be happy to. Excellent. Yeah. Follow me on Twitter. I'm trying to get Twitter famous so that I don't have to work anymore.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, definitely. We'll also link your, uh, your Twitter. I'm already Excellent. following, by the way. And uh, yeah, now for the listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you like to learn more about other journeys from other entrepreneurs, you can just go to wannabe-entrepreneur.com and uh, listen there. This was another Wannabe Entrepreneur. See you next time.